and it is a text this morning, uh, is really chapter 29 and verse 11. And it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's about a plan. It's about a plan. It's in the plural, but it is about a plan. I don't know if you're a planner. Uh, the qu from I retired, before I retired, my days were laid out for me, and I had lots of things to do, and I knew what I was doing. Since I retired, my first major question every morning is, what's the plan? Because all the women in the Maxwell family are extreme planners, <laughs> so they are, and there is no point in planning anything else until you hear what the plan is, right? So plans are very, very, very important. And this is about a plan. Now, have you noticed, I saw when I, when I said what the text was gonna be, um, I saw people smiling because this text, this verse, is so familiar. You find it all over the place. It's on Bible verse plaques, calendars, bookmarks, green cards, uh, on the side of coffee mugs and, and wherever. And you'll even find it on Facebook. You look up Facebook onto that and, and search for that. You'll find it in there. There'll be people sharing it on, on Facebook. Now, you may know that this love for Jeremiah 29 actually has often caused many, what would you call them, theologically inclined Christians to shudder, not to rejoice, but to shudder uh, its use out of its context in Jeremiah 29. And actually, you may not know, but its use has become a hindrance. There's always another side to the coin, isn't there? Its use has become a hindrance to some believers because they actually view having read this text and having had it quoted to them, they actually feel that God has kind of let them down a bit because it doesn't appear to be working very well in their lives. So what we need to do is, I chose this deliberately because actually I've heard this text used a lot over the last few weeks in relation to Ravenhill. Uh, so we actually should ask ourselves, does Jeremiah 29.11 apply to us, either as individuals or as a congregation in Ravenhill at this time? <laughs> the answer I have written down here is kind of, kind of, but I should probably take that back and say, yes, it does apply to us, but not in the way that some might claim the passage to do. And that's what I want to look at under three headings this morning. Hopefully we'll get through it in the time allowed uh, to us. Maybe not, but we'll try. Three things I want to share about this. And we'll have to do them very quickly, but here's the first thing. Uh, there's a map coming up there. Um, that's supposed to be Abraham. Oh, that's supposed to be Abraham and the stars, the covenant, and the, the, the people of God will become as the stars in the heavens. But there is the map, just for your information, so that you know where this is happening. This is happening in the Middle East. Uh, if you can, I can't get a map bigger than that, so um, can you see that? Uh, Judah is over just 
on the Mediterranean there. There were no people lying on the beach sunning themselves in those days. Uh, and Babylon is due east uh, of uh, Judah. And it's about, again, uh, I'm not quite sure exactly, but it's about 500 miles east of Judah. So Jeremiah is writing his letter to the Jewish exiles in Babylon 500 miles away. It's a long way off. They're not going to escape and walk back anyway soon uh, to the homeland. And here's the first thing about this promise uh, given in this letter to the exiles in Babylon. The promise is not about prosperity. <laughs> that, that really saddens some people. The promise is not about prosperity. Many understand the text to be about God's favor in their life and plans. If I just have the confidence to follow my heart, someone might think God will bless me. That's not the prophet Jeremiah. That's not the context of this, uh, of this letter. Anyone who could find that kind of prosperity, material benefits, um, uh, uh, meaning in this, hasn't really read Jeremiah. In fact, never mind all of Jeremiah, they haven't read the whole chapter 29, or they'll be thinking different. There is a, this is a word to a whole nation, not to individuals. And that's the important key to knowing what's going on here. It's a word from God through Jeremiah to the whole nation of Israel. In this case, the whole part of the nation of Israel, which is in Babylon, okay? And it's about their future, yes. And it's about God's plan for them. That's why God can say through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. We'll come back to that in a wee second. Can you imagine um, these people, uh, very closely knit community of Israelites, and they're transported away, and they're in Babylon. If you turn, well, don't turn to it, but Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. You've got to remember this, the people of God, and their faith, their religion, call it whatever you like, was very important to, very special. It was unique in all the world, and here they were, looking as it were at the psalmist, looking over the river of the rivers of Babylon and wondering, what are we doing here? What's going on here? How can we sing the Lord's songs while in a foreign land? That, that's our heart at this time. Because you see, Jeremiah is all about God disrupting his people's plans and upending his people's dreams which is exactly the opposite to what most people take out of, of this verse. This verse comes in the midst of a shocking message from the prophets, and it's pretty negative initially. Those left behind in Jerusalem, anchored around the temple and the throne, they assume that their uh, relative good fortune, because they weren't carted off to Babylon, they assume their relative good fortune is a sign that God is for them and God is blessing them. While those carted off into captivity uh, to Babylon are seen to be under God's curse. It's not just those in Jerusalem, however, who are tempted to think this way. 
Those in Babylon are tempted to think it too. Israel's God seems so distant to them. And they seem as though they have been swept away from the promises to Abraham. How are the nations going to be blessed if we're stuck here in Babylon? However, Jeremiah tells them that God's judgment actually has yet to fall on Jerusalem and those who are still there. In Jerusalem is not where it's at at this stage. And that God's purposes will spring to life through these exiles. That's the hope that He's given to them. But it's a hope given to the nation. It's not given to every individual. It's a hope given to the individuals as they make up the nation. And this isn't immediate good news for the hearers. The Jerusalem establishment is angered at this message and finds prophets who will say what they want them to say and tell them the good days are just around the corner. For the exiles, the message isn't a cheery one either, at least not in the short term, because in Jeremiah's letter to them, what does he say? They're told their return from exile won't happen anytime soon, probably not in their generation, because it's going to be 70 years. 70 years. So they should create new lives. If you happen to pick up on verse 7, it's often quoted as well. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. They are told they should create new lives in Babylon. So that's simply the first thing, right? The first thing is that this promise is not about individual prosperity. There is no guarantee of individual prosperity contained within this text or this passage. The second thing we need to look at is the promise given in its context. Um, you get these programs on television that call things like location, location, location. If you're buying a house, <laughs> the, the all-important thing is not always just the house. It's where it is. It's where it is. When you come to the Bible, the important thing in understanding, or one of the important things in understanding it is context, context, context. Uh, I don't know if you have little calendars on your wall with Bible verses on them, or uh, they used to have a thing called a promise box, and every day you pull out, pull out this little paper and you unroll it, and there was a verse for you. Very dangerous occupation, because the little verses being stuck on a box or stuck on a calendar are out of context. And you need to know what the Bible says before those, that verse and after that verse to really understand what it's all about. So, how does this passage apply to us? Well, Jeremiah 29 verse 11 has got to be read in the context of the whole book of Jeremiah and the whole book of Jeremiah must be read in the context of the whole of Israel's story, its history. But then all of Jeremiah and all of Israel's story must be read in the context of God's purposes in Jesus Christ, His plan. And that's why it refers to plans. All the promises of God, the Apostle Paul says, are yes in Christ. Old Testament promises. There are many people who like to cut the Old Testament out. They love the New Testament. They love the gospel. The Old Testament is the gospel. It is the gospel. It's not cut off from it. And the Old Testament promises are all about Jesus. 
everything in the Old Testament is heading for the cross and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know the plans I have for you refers to the plans the Lord has had for the people of Israel from the beginning. This is this verse is like a, a reiteration of all the promises of God. It's like a reiteration of the covenant that God has made with His people, uh, particularly as we see it revealed to Abraham. That's why I stuck his, uh, this picture up there with a wee man looking at all the stars. It's a reiteration of the promises of God as well as the guarantee that He always keeps His covenants. He never, never breaks the only covenant breakers are people like you and me. And that is why Jesus had to die for us. These people by the rivers of Babylon were descendants of Abraham with whom God made a covenant to bless his descendants. They weren't feeling very blessed sitting there in Babylon. They were the people of David, a man after God's own heart, but they weren't feeling very encouraged by that just at this stage. And even though they broke their promise to worship uh, only the true God, the true God was not going to forget His Word, and He would restore them to blessings. In fact, this verse is a foreshadowing. It doesn't mean anything unless you see in this verse Jesus. I know the plans I have for you. The plans I have for you is this, that you are going to be the people from whom come the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. What he is saying to them is, I have a plan of salvation. I have a plan of redemption. It will not be upended. It will stay on track. And you people who are in exile in Babylon, you need to see yourselves as a body of people in the midst of this. Through you, the Messiah is going to come, and through you, the nations are going to be blessed, and through you, men and women are going to know salvation. Through Jeremiah, God is telling the exiles that their scattering isn't accidental. God has plans for them, plans that include even what seems chaotic and random. That's another story. We, we can't deal with that this morning. Moreover, these plans mean the exile is not permanent. Not because of their faithfulness in exile, but because of God's promise to Abraham. If we are depending on blessing from God, if we are depending on our goodness and the things that we do and how many times we go to church or how many prayer meetings we go to or Bible studies, it isn't going to work. It just isn't going to work. God's promise to these people was going to work because of His grace, because of His promise, because of His covenant promise to Abraham and following on through the Old Testament that all the nations would be blessed. God is always the first and prime mover in everything. A promise that looked forward to Abraham's son, the Lord Jesus, and the exiles didn't stay scattered God restored them to their home. Why did He restore them to their home 70 years later when the Babylonian Empire fell and the Persians came along? Because from them, says the Apostle Paul to the Romans, is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, praised forever.
Jesus was coming. The Old Testament was all about Jesus coming. And God tells us that since we are in Christ, if we are in Christ, I hope we are. I hope we're not sitting here this morning and all this stuff that the guy at the front's talking about is all gobbledygook. And it's gobbledygook simply because you're not saved. It'll not mean a thing to you if you're not saved. And God tells us that since we are in Christ, we are foreigners and strangers. In this time, as it were, between the times, between Christ's ascension and his second coming, that we are strangers and aliens or uh, foreigners in this time between the times. We suffer, we bleed, we die in all sorts of ways. And through all that, we are tempted to think that this means God has abandoned us. We are not abandoned. We conclude, however, sometimes that we are a sheep to be slaughtered. But that's not what the gospel tells us. The third thing we might look at here to finish with is this. The promise as we read it in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 in the year 2023 on Sunday the 11th of June, the promise is still about the plan. It's still about the plan. So this verse promises restoration it promises redemption. Forgive that word. That's a good word. You should, you should learn if you don't know it. For a people in exile, that would lead to what? That would lead to the salvation of people from among all the nations. It's about a plan which remained on track despite apparently adverse circumstances. It still is on track. Nothing has changed about this promise except that Jesus has come. We who are in Christ are very much exiles in a foreign land. You're bound to have discovered that if you're a Christian, and it's getting more like that as the years go on. We're exiles in a foreign land, a sinful, God-opposing society. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. But in Christ, we are also the children of Abraham. You belong to a very old family. Heirs of all the promises of the Old Testament, promises which always looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Now he has come. He was born an Israelite. That was the plan. This was the plan God had for Israel. He has fulfilled the plan of salvation. This was the plan that God was talking about to the exiles in Babylon. But here, it's not over yet. Jesus has fulfilled all the Old Testament promises, but the plan is not finished yet. The plan is ongoing, and the plan is on track for completion. As citizens of the kingdom of God, through believing in Jesus, we can wholly receive this promise, but the context is still the same. It was never a promise of material blessing for individuals. It was for the people of Israel to assure them that God was very much on track. For us, it has the same meaning. It does not promise us personal comfort and success, so don't be looking for it. But it does promise that the plan of salvation is alive and well. 
whatever the circumstances affecting our lives or affecting our church and, and congregation, it's still alive and well. And that's good news. But how do we access it? To finish with this, I, I think the answer is in the, the verses surrounding, again, context, context, context. Surrounding 29, 11, two things are clear and they're perhaps summed up in the words, when we live the plan, when we live the plan. The Jews were in exile in Babylon because they weren't living the plan. God says to the exiles, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is a confirmation that we are part of the plan, living the plan, that we seek the Lord with all our heart. Do, do, we, do we come here seeking the Lord this morning? Or did we come here just because we go to church on a Sunday and we've got to get that sorted every Sunday morning? That we seek the Lord with all our hearts, that we own this promise. This is not that God does our bidding. God says, if you actually go back to chapter 24 and verse 7, God says, I will give them a heart to know me. God comes first again. This grace that we were singing about earlier in the service, this is God always coming first. I will give them a heart to know me. It's first and foremost all of God. Nothing has changed for us. We love him because he first loved us. And through Jesus, he has brought us into his big plan. Secondly, God's covenant promise to Abraham was that through his descendants, all nations would be blessed. And what do we find in 29.7? People find this hard to cope with as well. They are instructed to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile pray to the Lord for it. The plan was that God's people should bless the nations. It still is that they should bless Babylon. This is this horrendous pagan empire. God says to his people, bless them. Bless them. And if you bless them and they prosper, then the people of God will prosper also. The plan was that God's people should bless the nations. It still is. It's how we know that this promises for us today. When we live the plan, we become a blessing to others, and ultimately that blessing must be more than good neighborliness. Good neighborliness is good and necessary, but it's got to be more than that. It must be about sharing Jesus, because that's what God's plan and plans are all about. Does Jeremiah 11, we're finished now, encourage us? The answer is yes. If we are in Christ, we can count on that. Our plans may evaporate, our dreams may be crushed, our life may be snuffed out, but the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us up with him. The big plan is on track. God will not forget. But if we seek, if, if we anticipate being blessed, then we need to see that as a body, this is spoken to us as a body of God's people, not every individual as such, as a body. And if we are as a body living the plan, 
living the life of God, then this promise is the promise for us. May God help us to do that, especially over uh, the next uh, number of, of weeks and months. And we anticipate uh, as living as His people, uh, as the body of Christ, that we will know His blessing. Let's have a word of prayer before we sing our, our last song. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. It comes to us from so long ago. And yet, Lord, it is bang up to date. Lord, help us to take it on board, to understand it, to live it, and anticipate and live it, Lord, in the anticipation that the plan is on track. And in the end, Jesus will come and it will be complete. Amen.